0: Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Pastor Leon McKenzie, or Pastor Mac. I serve as the associate pastor here at Redeemer Community Church. It is my absolute pleasure to see all of you and to welcome you to church this morning. Especially if you are a first-time visitor, this is an extra special welcome, welcome, welcome to church. Thank you so much for choosing to worship with us outside here at our new space and our partnership with Peace Preparatory Academy. Amen. As Pastor Drew said, and also as Pastor, uh, Ms. <laughs> Pastor Kyleen, hmm? as Miss Kyleen said also this morning, we uh, are worshiping this morning in somewhat of a, of a moving target. If you're on this side, you're probably pretty warm. If you're on this side in the shade, you're probably, probably pretty cool. I feel like the sun is splitting me right in half right now. So this side is a little warm, and I'll just even it out by taking off my sweater this morning. Yeah, I'll just wear it on one half like this, like this. And just. Thank you for your advice, Connie. You don't care how foolish I would be. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Amen. And so he is risen. He is risen. Amen. And amen. We continue to worship. We continue to celebrate Easter, the resurrection of our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we talked about before here at Redeemer Community Church, Easter is a celebration for seven whole Sundays. We continue to celebrate and consider the resurrection of our Savior. And I'm so thankful that we have this tradition here within the Church and our particular church this morning. So a little bit about our sermon this morning. We're going to be talking about 1 John chapter 1 going through chapter 2 verse 2. And we're going to be talking about Jesus in terms of him being the word of life. And also in terms of him being the light and our walking in the light. And so we're going to be talking about what it means to live regarding the word of life, Jesus being the word of life, and also us, our our walking in the light. And there's also going to be something cool you see happening through the thread of this sermon. We'll get to see how the Bible operates as a commentary or an explanation of the rest of the Bible. Because the Apostle John has written at least three, if not four, books in the New Testament, we'll get to see how our text today uh, has a lot of reference, a lot of uh, 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 cohesiveness with John's, with, with John's gospel that he writes earlier. The gospel of John uh, is, also, is written by the same person as 1 John, 2 John, maybe 3 John, and also the book of Revelation as we read earlier. So we'll get to see that beautiful interplay between all of the scriptures, how God in his sovereignty And his providence has made sure that there is a a singular thread throughout all of scripture, particularly as one man has written three to four of the books. And so we're going to read 1 John chapter 1, going through chapter 2, verse 2. We'll read together and then we'll pray together and then we'll jump in. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 1. Not John the Gospel, but the letter, 1 John chapter 1, and we'll read. So beginning in verse 1. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light... My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. My God, I'm so grateful for another Sunday to come and worship with brothers and sisters. I'm thankful for being led in worship and song by the worship team this morning. You indeed are great. And you've been incredibly kind and merciful to us. This morning as I endeavor to preach your word, I pray for your help through Holy Spirit to proclaim your word with clarity, with conviction, And I pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would make it to be effective in the hearts and the minds of every person present here to bring about the change, the encouragement, all that you desire in our hearts and our minds and our lives together as a church individually, as followers, to be in every way all that you desire us to be for our joy and the glory of your name. Be with every person who couldn't be here this morning. And my prayer is that you're with them. You're working out whatever the circumstances, And they will be with us again shortly. Soon. We love and we thank you. It is in Jesus' master's name we pray and believe these things to be done according to your will, Father. Amen. And amen. So, friends, speaking of of, of books, I'm not a big fan of of reading fiction. As a matter of fact, I really don't remember the last time I read a piece of fiction. It may have been Captain Underpants in the fourth grade, if you know of that book. But I do enjoy reading a good bit of nonfiction. And my favorite pieces of nonfiction are typically biographies and autobiographies. I love autobiographies because I like the opportunities to hear about the lives of historic figures from their very own perspectives. My favorite autobiography, probably, is the story of Dapper Dan. How many of you know who Dapper Dan is? A few of you, okay. Dapper Dan is a fashion icon from Harlem, and his autobiography offers a very fascinating life story, as well as some great insight into the history of inner-city America. Of course, the second, my second favorite piece of nonfiction would be biographies, Particularly those kinds of biographies that are accounts of someone who knew the person, the the subject of the the biography uh, personally. They knew them intimately. And I remember about 10 years ago, I was working out at a gym here in Atlanta, and I met a woman. I befriended a woman there who, she was actually raised with the King's children, with Dr. King's children. And she would tell me the little bit that she could remember about playing with the children, those things. But she told me, she said, my mom would know more. She had more interaction with the Kings as a family, Dr. King and Coretta Scott King. And so to my great and pleasant surprise, one day her mother actually came to the gym while we were working out. And she was a very spry woman, very active, lively woman of about 85, somewhere between 85 to 90 years old at the time. And I I was so excited, I ran up to her. I introduced myself, and I, ran, I jumped right into asking questions about Dr. King and what it was like to know him and to be with him. And and I wasn't surprised for this spry old woman's answer, because with very little awe or very little deference or reverence for the, the larger-than-life character or person that I assumed Dr. King to be, she went on to answer very matter-of-factly. She said, she said, Martin. Wasn't home very much. He was always traveling. And so Coretta was home with the children alone a lot. And she would always ask the women in the neighborhood to help her do stuff like read through and sort through the letters that Martin received in the mail. She called him Martin. It floored me. She said, but I told her I couldn't help her because I was busy taking care of my own children. And I sat there both tickled and amazed To hear this woman talk about Dr. Martin Luther King as merely another person, as just a human. But the experience served to humanize Dr. King for me. It served to validate the fact that Dr. King lived in human skin and he walked the earth just like you and I. It proved that he was in fact real and in fact real human. Sometimes, when we consider larger-than-life figures, we can become so mystified by these figures that they no longer exist as regular human beings in our mind, right? They become figures or symbols or even fantasies. And it's important to remember, as we consider their impact, as we consider what they mean to us historically, that they were real, they were real humans and that their lasting impact is the result of their very real lives and struggles. Well, brothers and sisters, as we, as we look at this letter that John writes to a group of Christians, we have the privilege, the blessing, of seeing such a first-hand account of the life of Jesus. In First John 1 John begins by writing, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our eyes have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. In other words, John is making clear that he is offering a first-hand account, an eyewitness account, if you will, of the word of life. And this word of life is Jesus himself. And we know this because when we look at John's gospel, he uses nearly identical language when speaking of Jesus. In, in John, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, brothers and sisters, John understands and he's telling us that Jesus himself is this word of life. That Jesus himself is the very communication of life to us. Indeed, brothers and sisters, John is communicating to us that Jesus is life personified. You see, sometimes we conclude that Jesus grants us life or grants life because of his death on the cross, the death by which he atoned or paid for our sins. But the truth is that Jesus' ability to grant us life and forgiveness of sins has every bit as much to do with who he is as what he has done through his work on the cross. As a matter of fact, Jesus grants life and forgiveness of sins because of who he is. Jesus is the word of life. Jesus is the giver of life himself. Remember, brothers and sisters, Jesus was granting folks life well before he died and rose. Remember that Jesus raised Jairus' daughter to life in Matthew chapter 9 well before He died on the cross. Jesus raised Lazarus to life in John chapter 11, well before he died on the cross. Jesus raised the widow's son back to life in Luke chapter 7, well before the cross. And then way, way before any of this, John tells us in John chapter 1 and verse 3, that through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Made. In other words, brothers and sisters, John is telling us that since the beginning of time, anything that has ever lived owes its very existence to Jesus as he is the one through whom all things are given life and all things are created. And so, brothers and sisters, it's by faith in this word of life, this Jesus that John speaks of, that believers receive the promise of life. It's by believing on Jesus as the word of life that we, that we receive the promise that once this life is over, we go on to live eternally with God the Father in the next And this is the very reason why John feels the need to share with us that his account is indeed a first-hand account. That his account is not something that he heard from someone else, not something that he read in a book. John wants us to know that this is a first-hand account of Jesus. Jesus, the Word of Life. Jesus, the resurrected Christ himself. John wants us to know that he has seen the resurrected Christ with his own eyes. He wants us to know that he has touched the resurrected Christ with his own hands. And John wants us to know this so that we would know that his account of Jesus, the word of life, is trustworthy. And he wants us to know it's trustworthy so that we would believe. John's singular goal, his primary goal, his goal above all else in all of his writing is to secure faith in the heart's of his readers. In John chapter 20 and verse 31, John summarized his entire gospel, all that he wrote, by saying that he wrote what he did so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And again in John in first John chapter 5 verse 13 John writes I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life And so brothers and sisters if you're taking notes if you're at home these should come up on the screen for you there The apostle John in this passage he goes us he goes on to tell us two benefits Two benefits of having eternal life, of living in light of the word of life, of living by faith in the word of life, and the first of these two is this. We live in joyful fellowship with God and with others. We live in joyful fellowship with God and with others. In verse 3 of our text this morning, John writes, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also... May have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, John understands, brothers and sisters, that by living in faith in the Word of Life, it means to live in harmony and fellowship with both God and man. And so, brothers and sisters, it's a mistake. To assume that we can live in unity with God while being at odds with our brothers and sisters. Unity with God and disunity with others is a contradiction. And by that I mean it just doesn't work. Unity with God, brothers and sisters, requires that we have unity with our brothers and sisters. And John goes on to say as much In in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 through 21, John writes, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so to say it all again, brothers and sisters, we cannot live well with God if we are not living well with others. And this is why John tells us again in Matthew chapter five, verses twenty three through twenty four. He says, "Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come." And offer your gift. Jesus says this brothers and sisters because harmonious relationship with others. Connection with God in such a way that he hears our prayers. In such a way that he can receive things from us. True relationship with God our father. Is dependent upon our relationship with others. Harmonious relationship with others, brothers and sisters, is essential to harmonious relationship with God. Now, here is the truth, and here is the difficult truth, brothers and sisters. We all experience seasons of feeling far from God. Amen? Raise your hand if you felt that before. You feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, right, like God has turned his back. He's not there, right? We all have times like that. But how many times during those seasons do we seriously consider that quite possibly, just maybe, the rift that we sense between us and God is because of a rift that we have with someone else, with a brother or sister. A rift that we have yet to address. Friends, it is extremely immensely important that we keep short accounts in our relationship with each other. With our brothers and sisters in the faith, with our family and friends, with anyone in our life. If we're going to experience uninterrupted fellowship with God, We're not going to experience rifts in our communion with God. And of course, brothers and sisters, this doesn't mean that we'll always be able to fix every relationship that we have with others. Okay, sometimes, unfortunately, you may hurt someone and they may not be willing to forgive right then. and It may be hard to to, to break, to to fix that rift. That's just the fact of the matter. Now, I'm pretty sure we've all experienced that to some degree, but the call is for us to prayerfully do all that we can from our end, as far as it depends on us, to make sure that we reconcile broken relationships. Again, brothers and sisters, because the health of our relationship with God is dependent on it. It's not optional. And so we see that living by faith in the word of life means to enjoy fellowship with God and others. But it also means, and this is our second point, it also means that we live in light. We live in the light. In verses 5b through 6 of of, of our passage this morning, John writes that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And then John goes on to explain that this light, the light of God, it represents transparency or, or honesty about what's true. What's true in every single one of our lives. Every person breathing on this planet. And this is the fact that we all struggle with sin brothers and sisters and not a single one of us is exempt from it we all struggle with sin and to live in the light means to acknowledge this sin whenever we become aware of it to acknowledge the sin in our lives and then to bring that sin to jesus to bring it to the light that is god that is jesus himself And here's the incredible news, brothers and sisters, about when we do that. John tells us that when we bring sin to the light, when we bring sin to Jesus, his response every single time will be to forgive us. Jesus will forgive us and he will cleanse us from all sin. And brothers and sisters, not just some sins, not just the ones that we consider acceptable or not all that bad. Not just the sins that your church friends are okay with. Not just the sins that you're okay sharing in your small groups and formation groups. No, brothers and sisters, John tells us that he forgives us for all sin, each sin, every sin, any sin. And Jesus is that merciful and he is that graceful. However, brothers and sisters, to choose to hide our sins or to deny our sins or to determine on our own that what God has called sin is not truly sin. Means to walk in darkness. And John tells us here that darkness in no wise exists with or within our God. And so to walk in darkness means ultimately to find ourselves outside of fellowship with our God and ultimately outside of fellowship with our brothers and sisters in the faith. And here's the, here's the, the, the truth here, brothers and sisters. The only way, the only way we find ourselves outside of fellowship with God and thereby outside of fellowship with others in the faith Is to refuse to confess sin is sin. And to refuse to trust Jesus to forgive and cleanse us from our sin. But brothers and sisters, the good news is that Jesus again forgives all sin. Every sin, any sin. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks of you. It doesn't matter even what you think of yourself because of your sin. Brothers and sisters, listen. Jesus does not lie. Jesus is not playing tricks on us. If we come to Jesus confessing our sins, Jesus will forgive us and he will restore us to right fellowship with the Father. Jesus is just that merciful and just that gracious. Earlier we mentioned that sometimes, and I I hear my brother being excited about it, praise the Lord. He knows what it's like to be forgiven for sin. Amen. Earlier we mentioned that sometimes when we sense that we're far from God and, and that it may be the case that our relationships with others are broken. We, we talked about the fact that, you know, maybe, maybe our relationship with God is, is a little severed because of our relationship with other, others are broken. Well, it can also be the case, brothers and sisters, that when we feel that we're far off from God or that we're far off from our brothers and sisters in the faith, it's because we're walking in darkness. It could be that maybe we're doing something or living in a certain way that we know we shouldn't. Maybe, maybe, brothers and sisters, we're living in such a place that we're trying to keep sin a secret. Maybe we're because we're afraid of what others may say or even what we think God would say. But let me be honest with you, brothers and sisters. Again, this is an unfortunate truth. I, I, I cannot tell you what others would say. If you come clean, if you come to the light, if you confess, you know, the sin and what's been going on, I have to be honest with you, I'm not sure what others would say. Because unfortunately, we're all messed up. All of us are messed up. And one of the ways we're messed up, brothers and sisters, is that we just can't seem to forgive others the way God has forgiven us. We tend to hold things against brothers and sisters in ways that God is not holding things against us. And I want to say to you this morning as a pastor, as a preacher before you, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that we as, as the Big C Church have created spaces that are not safe for us to live in the light. But again... I want to reemphasize, despite what any man would say as messed up as we all are. I know what God will say if you choose to come into the light because he's already said it. He's already said that when you come to the light, there's only one thing awaiting you, brother and sister, and that is forgiveness. The only thing waiting for you is for him to cleanse you from all sin and to present you before your father as without spot, wrinkle or blemish. He is just and his blood will cleanse us from any impurity that separates us from God our Father. If only we will confess. If only we would believe. But I want to continue to touch on this idea of us as a church redeemer and as a big C church. The the ways that we've made it unfortunately easy for people to live in darkness. We've done this, brothers and sisters, yes, because we've treated people like their sins are worse than ours or worse than others. We've done this, yes, because we've made people feel like they're less than. Yes, because we haven't been merciful and loving in the way that mirrors the mercy and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, because of all these things, but most of all, brothers and sisters, we have failed to normalize real, transparent relationships in community. Brothers and sisters, I think that many of us find it so easy to live in darkness because nobody checks in on us. And if someone does, we're not sure how to respond because that's so rare. But I think, friends, I think that with a good deal of intentionality... A good deal of pressing through uncomfortable conversations, building these relationships, we can begin to cultivate the kind of culture in our church here, Redeemer, in the Big C Church, and in our personal relationships that first normalizes transparency, a transparency through which we can check in on each other. A transparency through which we can ask deeper than surface questions about our lives and our hearts and answer those questions honestly. And secondly, we can cultivate the kind of culture and community that makes people feel safe to enter into those relationships. Again, to answer those questions, to be honest, to live in the light. But this means, brothers and sisters, that we have to fight. We have to fight against our own mess, right? We have to fight the temptation. Of the pleasure that comes from knowing someone's dirty little secrets, right? We have to fight the temptations to gossip. We have to fight the urge to cancel someone or to let our jaws hit the ground when we learn that their sin is a little worse than we imagine, that their sin is a little less than acceptable in our own books. We have to fight these urges, brothers and sisters, because sin is destructive. Don't get it twisted. Sin comes to destroy. And sin grows and destroys in the dark. Sin does its best work in the dark. But sin dies in the light. Sin loses its power to destroy when it's brought into the light. And so we fight, brothers and sisters, for ourselves to live in the light and to create these spaces that our brothers and sisters can come and live in the light so that we are not destroyed but so that we may live. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, because living in the light is necessary for the follower of Christ. As John chapter 8, verse 12 tells us, Jesus himself says, He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And this is what we're all about here, Redeemer. Amen? This is what we're all about, Redeemer. Loving each other and helping each other follow Jesus. And so toward this end, it's helpful, it's helpful, brothers and sisters, that we remind ourselves, like John says in our passage, that none of us, none of us are without sin. And that Jesus is yearning for all of our sin to enter his light, to enter his light and find forgiveness and life. It's important that we keep in mind that his desire for your sin and my sin is, is, is to enter that light. His desire for our sin to enter that light is just as great as his desire for anyone else, despite whatever their struggle or sin may be. And John leaves us with a great reason, a great encouragement to live transparent lives, a great encouragement to live in this light of life. He says, if anybody does sin, he begins by saying, do not sin, but if anybody does sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Brothers and sisters, we strive to live in the light because forgiveness, because life awaits us in the light. Friends, the word of life affords us this amazing opportunity to be recipients of eternal life. And those who live in light of eternity, who live by faith in the word of life, we are called to live in joyful fellowship with God and others. And we are blessed, we are privileged, and we are called to live in the light himself. Let's live as people of the light this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. My prayer this morning is is not just, Father, that we feel encouraged to live in the light. That we we, we feel encouraged to live in, in unbroken fellowship with others and with you. But Lord God, that this week you grant us the grace, you grant us the strength to do it. To move our lives into the light where previously we've lived in the darkness. And to find healing. To find life. To find the weight lifted off our shoulders, the loads dropped off our back, Father. And Lord God, to truly experience the harmony, the joy of fellowship with you and others, Father, let us live into it. And I pray that you would prove in our lives your word to be true. Give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.